2: Find a
0: location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
2: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: This episode is presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. For tickets for an upcoming game or concert, visit ticketkingonline.com or a quick link from the 1500 ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticketkingonline.com, 612-341-4141.
0: Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast, which, much like the Viking season, Matthew Collar, is spiraling. Uh, Thanksgiving Day 16-13 loss at uh, Detroit is the latest setback for the Vikings, who now, by my Benelts, St. Margaret's Math, fall to 6-5 and five on the season. Uh, the Lions are in first place in the NFC North now at 7-4. and four. They're actually two games up on the Vikings because they own the ultimate tiebreaker, which is... Head to head, uh, let's delve right in. Your takeaway from another disappointing loss for the Vikings. Disappointing
2: is an understatement. It's another opportunity that the Vikings had to overcome all offensive line odds and the odds of missing Adrian Peterson and today Stefan Diggs. They had a chance. They had the ball with a minute and 40 seconds left, go down, get a Kai Forbath field goal, and win the game. And for the third time in the last four weeks, they've had a chance to win right there, right on the doorstep. Just need a play from the quarterback or just need a stop from the defense or whatever it might be, and they didn't get it done. And they deserve to be where they are, where they sit in the NFC North. The Lions have been the team that all year long, when they've had the ball at the end of a game, Matt Stafford has driven them down, or in this case, in his game-winning drive, just kneeled the ball down and allowed Matt Prater to kick a field goal. But they've gotten it done, and the Vikings have not when they've had those chances and once again
0: did not today, and that starts with Sam Bradford. No pun intended, but I feel like there's a lot to digest from today's game. And I feel part of that is based on, you know... If anyone is ordinarily incredibly pessimistic and negative, it's probably me. But this is a difficult situation when you end up with a game in, in which you definitely – you're right. You could have won. You had every opportunity to win this game. But when you end up with a game where the at the end of it, Willie Beavers is at right tackle for you, and uh, Joe Berger, the one constant on the line at center, is now out with a concussion – How do you sort of weigh this? Because when I watch this offense now, and it was obviously without Stefan Diggs, uh, Bradford's favorite target today at wide receiver. When I watch this offense now, Matthew, it feels like watching something trying to make its way through quicksand. And throughout this game, my overwhelming feeling offensively was they're going to drown. It, it really was. I never watched that offense and said, OK, I said, OK, they're going to run a couple trick plays here. They'll run a wildcat. And those plays do work, by the way. But all but I don't and I don't blame this on individual specifically. But given what they have and an offensive line, that's that big a mess. I just keep thinking to myself, they're eventually going to drown here.
2: I think that what they did offensively was not uh, fun for the eye. But was probably the right game plan mm-hmm. to go continually with the short passes, even more short passes than they had gone with all year because uh you know obviously once Jeremiah Searles goes out they're in with a guy that they cut in the preseason in Willie Beavers, having to go out there and play through most of the game, they were doing a lot of the same things that they have had mild success with, all things considered. But where they weren't able to come through was on third downs. Continually throughout this game, they came short of the sticks, tossing little passes underneath to Matt Asiata or Jarek McKinnon or Charles Johnson one yard short. And then they get to the final drive, and they've got a ton of time to move the ball down the field, and time wastes away. And now you're starting to feel like your back's up against the wall, and you make a risky throw that turns into an interception. So I look at it as, yes, the offense was extremely frustrating to watch. But part of that is, I'm sure the game plan a little bit, the injuries are a major part of it. Stefan Diggs is always your go-to guy. But I always circle all the way back to Sam Bradford. And as much as I like a lot of things that he's done, despite what he's up against, I still come away with... There had to be a throw in that game that he left out there that was a downfield throw, that was a risky throw, that was into double coverage that could have been made with his arm strength and his natural ability that he just decided not to do in order to not make a mistake.
0: Is it too simple, though, for Bradford to have to be the answer to the problem? Is it too simple with what this offense is dealing with and the injuries and w- and with the fact that we saw a guy who likes to take downfield shots, walk away, and or get fired in Norv from the job, giving way to a West Coast guy in Pat Shermer, is it too simple to come back and just blame Bradford and say there was more there?
2: Is it? Yeah, maybe. Uh, because we I don't know, know the, we, the answer, well, by the well, way. Well,
0: the, I, the question is legitimate.
2: We know the context. We know the context of not having your number 1 receiver, losing every offensive lineman, in fact, losing... S- Several at at a position, at right tackle, they're on offensive lineman number Mm 3 by the end of this game. You don't have your future Hall of Fame running back to even put a scare into the other team that you might break off a big run. So, yeah, blaming the quarterback here, considering all that context, sounds pretty rough, but your defense gave you a chance to win a game. I mean, I, I thought after the first drive of the game, the defense did exactly what you would have hoped from them other than score a touchdown, which we talked about last week. Are the results sustainable with the offense? Well, it's not because this week you didn't get that break. You didn't get that kick return for touchdown. Yeah. And, but I don't want to let Bradford entirely off the hook, first of all, because he makes the throw that gets picked off at the end. And that's the second time this year – that that's happened where he's had a potential game-winning drive and instead he's thrown an interception, that the opposition was able to fool him into a bad decision. That's not good either. And I also look at it as this isn't – we're not talking about Case Keenum or Sean Hill, where you go, ah, you know, that guy just can't make a throw. I mean, it's not his fault. He just can't make a throw. Mm -hmm. This is a former number 1 overall pick. This is a guy who has made a number of phenomenal throws, freak show passes – this year, last week's touchdown to Adam Thielen. there have been deep balls where he's dropped it in the bucket over guys' shoulders. Yeah. We, he's shown us that he has all those tools. I think there is something inside his head, and it has been there for his entire career, that says, just don't ruin everything. Just don't ruin everything. Because if it's a, a more high risk quarterback, a guy who is maybe a little more confidence or self belief or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. there then at some point in that game, there's a throw into double coverage, and it might be a pick or it might be a touchdown. But I go back to Brett Favre, and it's hard. I know it's Brett Favre, and he's a legend, and but made a
0: lot of bad passes. He made a lot forced of bad, a lot of stupid a, passes, a lot of
2: bad passes. I I know I know all that. Yeah. Today you needed one. You needed one play from your quarterback that doesn't mean taking shots downfield all day that means just one play from your quarterback who we know is capable of doing
0: and sam bradford is with his third team as a a former top overall pick for a reason probably because sam bradford does have that self-doubt i just think today is an incredibly difficult situation because your offensive line is a mess you lose your center and your right tackle now i mean you're down to Willie Beavers, who was a fourth-round pick and, by the way, was the highest draft pick from this, year's, this past year's draft to be cut by his team. You're without digs. You're in a situation where you're trying not to make mistakes. And I do think, listen, Matthew, when your starting point as a quarterback for a game and you're mentally wired like Bradford probably is, is I can't screw this up, that's a really bad place to start. And your other starting point is, is there going to be a run game at all? And so, as I said, there's just the last two weeks, even in the victory against the Cardinals, I watch this offense for the most part and I say to myself, I really believe, and it's not realistic, but I really believe the defense almost has to score a touchdown per game to assure victory. It's not that they can't get lucky and win a game, and they certainly, to end the year when they play, what, the Jacksonville, Indianapolis, uh, Green Bay, and Chicago, those four teams, you could win those games. But I say when you're playing a team like they will a week from Thursday now against Dallas, I really think your starting point, and this is very dangerous, is to say we almost have to have the defense score seven points. I mean, and that's a terrible conversation to, to have, and that's not sustainable and not realistic but it's how I feel about this team now.
2: And no, you're not wrong, because even since Pat Shermer took over as offensive coordinator, they're scoring just offensively, not factoring in the Rhodes touchdown or the Patterson kick return for touchdown. They're scoring under 15 points a game as an offense. And and yeah, a Blair Walsh missed extra point slash field goal is probably thrown in there sure. as part of that equation for why they're scoring so few points. And and that goes to the, to the Detroit. The last Detroit game, too, is probably on Blair Walsh. But your defense has done so much to put you in a position to win games here that you've got to be walking away, just ripping your hair out of your head that the offense can't do more. And even if there is, this is where I come to back tying it into Bradford. Is there are some quarterbacks who are former number one overall picks who are so good they can overcome pretty much anything, Mm -hmm. and or uh, a sixth round pick, Tom Brady last year had this same problem. And as we were doing vent line after the game, you mentioned it, he had tight ends playing tackle last year. And he's
0: Tom Brady, It was
2: though. so bad. and all He's they ascending needed, to Canton right. as soon as he's done. And all they needed was an extra point, and they would have gone to the Super Bowl and beat Denver yes. last year. That's all they needed. And at the end of that game, he's still making big throws. Mm-hmm. This Sam Bradford is not that quarterback. So in my mind, I've got these two things working against each other, the idea that Hey, Bradford, you can do it, bro. Make a play. Right. And then, you know what? Bradford is good enough to be a franchise quarterback. He is good enough to win, but he can't overcome this that he's going up against. And that's
0: just not realistic. He's not going to Ken. That's not him. I mean, that's, that's Peyton. That is Brady. I mean, you know, the Brett Favre... Narrative as great as Brett Favre could be is fantastic, but if you really go back and watch game film of Brett Favre, you have you have years of evidence of Brett Favre basically being the anti-Sam and saying, you know what, screw it, I'm going to make that pass. And guess what happens? It got picked. Uh, so the question becomes this, and and you certainly address this on Ventline as well. You go a, a week from today, which is Thursday, Dallas, and then you go through Jacksonville, Indianapolis, Chicago, and Green Bay. Uh, you're now. As we talked about at the top of this show, two games behind Detroit in reality is the season done. If you are is the Viking season done?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I think it is. I I know that the schedule does not uh, look that tough after the Dallas game.
0: And the Lions does. But or it's tougher.
2: They couldn't beat Detroit twice and they barely beat Arizona, needed a lot to go their way to beat Arizona. I, I mean, am I supposed to believe that they're just going to run over Andrew Luck now? Uh, Am I supposed to believe that their offense is going to move the ball at all, even against Jacksonville? Like, Jacksonville is bad at the quarterback position, but their defense isn't a complete truck fire. I mean, they they could stop some people. Uh, So... Am I supposed to believe that they can really guarantee that they could beat anyone since they lost to the Bears a couple of weeks ago? We just pinned that on Norv Turner and said, "Ah, yeah, well, that was Norv's fault. That doesn't count. Well, it counts. And that's a a bad team, maybe the second worst in the league that they've already lost to. So now I'm supposed to guarantee that they're beating these other either mediocre or bad teams. I can't do that. I can't say for sure that Aaron Rodgers isn't going to have a big game against them at some point, especially if the Packers all of a sudden get hot. And I would give them almost... And have a different coach by that point. Yeah, that Ooh, is true.
0: Rogers might like a lot more yeah. than he likes Mike McCarthy. Yeah,
2: that is true. And then, uh, which even if you think that can't happen, Chip Kelly was fired in the second to last week la- last year. That can happen. And then the Eagles won a game there against the Giants. Yeah. Uh, and if you look at what they're up against here, uh, they've lost to Washington, they've lost to Philly, there's two tiebreakers, they've lost twice to Detroit, there's a tiebreaker. I mean, so much would have to go their way, and they would have to beat Dallas coming up, which I just don't give a very big chance to.
0: The Lions always have the potential to lion, which <laughs> makes it difficult for me to write the write the Vikings off from the division title, despite the fact it seems like a huge reach right now. But the, what keeps hitting me about this Vikings team is you know this was a team at 5-0 and going into the bye, Matthew that we talked about as a Super Bowl contender I mean we were talking about how far can this team go and Mackie and I sat there on our show and said I don't see the loss you know maybe Philadelphia or Washington that's tough but I don't see the losses that's to me what keeps hitting me about this conversation as we sit here now with, with the Vikings having come out of the bye and lost what four or five or it, it's the fact that it's come so far off the tracks. And and it's not one of those things where guys just went in the toilet. It is a situation where you've lost a ton of people. All of that being said, that to me is the it's the story of the Vikings' 2016 season pre-buy and post-buy and how different you feel about this team now. And even if you can assure that you can get this team in the playoffs now, you're still saying to yourself, okay, it's been a nice run then. I mean, it'll take an act of God. They'll, they'll have to be coached into the playoffs. And then if they win a game, it will be a miracle. Is there any
2: other area, coaching, other players, other positions, that we need to point fingers at outside of just the injuries? Because uh, injuries are an explanation for the number—it is number one, and I think there's probably a big gap between who's next. Sure. For the reason why this team at least isn't still super competitive. In those first five weeks, I mean, if we're being really honest with ourselves— there's some wins that they had where, like, oh, man, you should not have won the Tennessee game. Tennessee is driving pretty much to put you away, and then Mariota throws a pick right into your hands for a pick And Tennessee six.
0: probably beat you now yeah. in that same game because they're much improved. Yeah, and then, yeah, you,
2: you know, you're talking about things going right. Uh, they're down to Carolina, and then they get a punt return for touchdown. I mean, mm-hmm. if we're being honest with ourselves, some of those wins don't look as sexy. And also, a lot of things had to bounce their way. To be exactly right. Uh, So I expected them to start to slip a little bit and maybe go 500 the rest of the way or or whatever, right, coming out of the bye. And then they just have this epic collapse. It can't just entirely be on offensive line injuries and, and the injuries to... Peterson and Stefan Diggs missing a couple sure, of games. It, sure. it cannot we can't entirely just point and say that's the only reason they lost.
0: Yeah. I would say if I was going to look at the defense, I would say the uh the times that the run defense has been gashed since the bye has been surprising and uh, un- unacceptable for what these team what this team can do. Uh the post-bye tackling at times has been awful. The Golden Tate touchdown in overtime to beat them at the US Bank Stadium here was unforgivable. I mean, when you have Xavier Rhodes basically lunge at a guy and roll off him and then Harrison Smith, one of your best defensive players can't tackle the guy. Uh but I would say if you're looking for a if you're looking for the story of of what the problem is, it, it was this. You thought you thought by bringing in people on that offensive line and by changing coaches, it was going to magically fix things. And you can always go back to the fact of just look at the Vikings draft and how little priority they put on offensive line play. And then you look at the teams like Oakland, which I think has spent big bucks on their offensive line, and what Dallas has done. And the teams that are—I'm not talking about the Seattles, which somehow seem to get away with being cheap— on the line, well, that's Russell and then Wilson. it develops, they've just got a better quarterback. and they've got, and yes, and they, they, they've got a quarterback who can certainly move more, but I think if you're looking for a, a big storyline about what happened with this offensive line, it was the fact that you didn't pay enough attention to it, and that erosion started to catch up to you last year, and I'm sorry, but even as the starting point, the starting point of this conversation, when we arrived in Mankato on day one, and Andre Smith was going to be your right tackle, that's probably not good enough. And the fact that you didn't have a draft pick there who could step in eventually and that you just thought for years that you were going to take offensive linemen late in the draft and or sign guys off the street was a gamble, a mammoth mistake. And this organization owes a big fat apology to poor old Jeff Davidson, who's in San Diego now, I think, with the same job coaching the O-line, who was the guy that took the fall for last year. It wasn't his fault. Rick Spielman and this front office allowed that line to erode to a fact where when they got guys hurt, Matthew, it just stuck out. I mean, it really does. When Willie Beavers has to go in there today to play, that's, a, that's on you on development, too.
2: Well, right. I mean, so that's, that's my big that's thing. That's the thing is that the two tackles that we're talking about that are so far below replacement level that you have to throw the ball in two seconds or less or you're going to get killed. And Willie Beavers' first play from scrimmage, he just got abused, too. I mean, he was thrown aside mm-hmm. and kind of embarrassed on that play. You drafted both of those guys. And those are guys who, and with not seventh round picks, with fourth round picks, and one of them has even had a year of development and still cannot play and has been the lowest rated tackle in pro football focus history or something like that, right? Mm, Yes. I mean, that's one area where you might look at it and say, I mean, come on, you drafted both of these guys and neither one of them can play a lick, but... Should they have been drafting offensive linemen more is a, is a tough question for me because I look at the Laquan Treadwell pick, and again, Diggs is out, and we don't see any Laquan Treadwell really outside of one pass, yeah. and that is mind-blowing. That a first-round draft pick. First-round draft pick is not in the game when you lose your number 1 wide receiver. This could have been the game where he makes two or three big plays and you win because of him. And instead, he can't even get a target. Now, that's where you look at it and say, all right, going back to the logic when you made the draft pick, you said, I don't even know if Adam Thielen is on the team, right? Mm -hmm. He was being talked about as a bubble guy. I don't know. Yeah, a special team right, so, right. I don't know if Cordero Patterson is going to make any impact at all. In fact, I would have guessed no at that time. Right. So you need someone to go along with your budding star in Stefan Diggs. So I understand that draft pick as opposed to getting a tackle. And I would probably say that from their standpoint, I'm not sure that they exactly did the wrong thing. They brought it, okay, Andre Smith was bad. Yeah. And. Whatever. He was a below average tackle. But they thought, okay, we'll spend there mm-hmm. and we'll draft at some other skill positions of guys who can come in and play. Mm-hmm. And that's how we're going to handle it. And I can't totally say that that logic no, no. is terrible.
0: No, I'm saying go way back. You're saying not that for last, this year. I'm like, saying. Five years or whatever. I think Mackie went back to 2006 and found that they had drafted a first or second round uh Offensive lineman on, like, three occasions. That's what I'm saying. So, no, 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 the Treadwell thing. Now, now the indictment about today is this. You have two first-round wide receivers on the field. And Cordell Patterson, God bless him, is much improved, but he still basically can run gimmick plays, mm-hmm. and he can sort of run routes. But, I mean, he's also, the reason why Bradford had to throw that pass on third and seven at the end of the game was he didn't know to line up on the tackle to cover the tackle because there wasn't a tight end on the field. And so you really can't trust Cordell as a football player. He's an athlete. And to your point, Laquan Treadwell, I mean, come on. If you draft a quarterback of the first round or you draft a cornerback in the first round and they can't get on the field because you're saying, okay, they're going to be good, but they got to learn. I get that. Wide receivers? Wide receivers can't get on the field as first-round picks? That's absolutely ridiculous. In fact, some of your most productive years as a wide receiver should be when you're a young player coming in the league, and what you have to do is run routes. And for whatever reason, this coaching staff doesn't feel that they could replace uh, Stefan Diggs today with Treadwell. That's a scary fact. Uh, so that, to me, goes back to all right. This was never. I don't think this is a conversation about LaQuan Treadwell not being like a good athlete or a good player. This is a question about trust and and a lack of trust. And that goes back to the Vikings because you have to know that when you take a wide receiver in in the first round, I'm sorry, that should not be a year of apprenticing. That should be a year of you know what you're going to do. You're going to play a lot for us, and you're going to be really damn good. Well, and what week are we technically in here?
2: The Thursday throws me off. Is this eleven uh, week eleven? Okay, whatever, third, whatever, whatever. We're week
0: in. They're six and five, right? Uh, yeah, so okay. it's like 13.
2: 12, 13 okay, whatever. Yeah. Thanksgiving. Um, but we're this far into the NFL season. Yes. And that apprenticeship should be like. Time to be a pro now, right? I mean, uh, you've been practicing with an NFL team. For a wide for, receiver, for, yes. I mean, for this long, I could understand the beginning of the season. Sure, five when, weeks. Right, when he's not on the field for the first game, you may say, all right, well, that's a little weird because, you know, he's at training camp, but okay, fine. But then we heard, oh, you know, uh, he's he's taking big strides at practice, and then he makes a third down catch against the Lions, and it's, well, you know, uh, that, that that's setting off a spark in him, and he was saying he feels like part of the team finally. And they still don't go to him in this game. And I, and I think that uh, tying it back into what happened today against Detroit, somebody needed to make a play, mm-hmm. a big play in the red zone, and not settle for a field goal a couple of times or not have to punt in, in a certain situation here or there, get one more first down to wind more time off the clock so Detroit couldn't have brought uh, the, the, them down the field to, to score that game-tying uh, field goal. And you say, this is what you drafted that guy for, yeah. which was to make all play like that, to go up and get a ball or something, and he's not really playing. So if I'm pointing fingers, I, that was what I originally had asked you. Can you point fingers anywhere else? And you say, not drafting offensive line for a long time. And I say, not at least. Letting Laquan Treadwell make a play for this game, if I'm blaming him. not That's not the big picture. But where's picture, the disconnect, then?
0: Where's the disconnect between uh, Rick Spielman, who drafted this kid, and a coaching staff who now, months and months after the fact, still doesn't feel comfortable using a guy at a position where he should be able to contribute? I get Trey Waynes, okay? I get that. Zimmer's a cornerback whisperer, and he says to himself, this kid's going to be good, but it's going to take time. I understand you don't want him being burned because if he is, it's going to cost you. But we're talking about a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. We're talking about learn your routes, learn how to block. And you're right; if you can't play for four weeks. You can't play for four weeks. But by week six, you damn well better be out there.
2: Yeah, and by
0: week. Whatever so where's right the now, disconnect there? There, there? He should be far
2: enough along, and then he did. You know, he had that injury after he made his catch, so maybe that set him back a little bit. I don't know where that disconnect is. But if I'm looking for these small percentage points that make the difference between there were three games you could have won and you didn't come away with any of them. And if you come away with one, you're in you're in really good shape. Just one of them against Detroit or, all, or, or win that Washington game and, and you're, they're still, all winnable. you're, yeah, you're right. still in good shape. You're right. That, I don't disagree with you. And that's where there were plenty of points in all of those games where they needed a playmaker and it wasn't really there outside of Stephon Diggs, who in this game is not in, which if we're blaming injuries which we should, that one might be the biggest one. I think the,
0: today's result is probably different if he's if Bradford's got Diggs because Diggs is Third Downs. Which well, a safety blanket. Yep. I mean Thielen is sort of is sort of in that group too, and Thielen does go catch a ball. I mean he's in incredible times. But you know Cordell Patterson, for all his athletic talents and gifts, is not a safety blanket. and Mm -hmm. In fact, he scares you. Laquan Treadwell can't be trusted. Rudolph is there lots of times, but Diggs is the guy. I mean, listen, Matthew, when you become the first wide receiver in the history of this league to catch 13 or more passes in a game two weeks in a row, think about that. What does that say? That's not really a great thing. I mean, it's a cool stat, but that's not really when it's never happened before. That's happening because your quarterback basically is saying to himself— this is the only guy I really, really, really trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, yep. I might, uh, R- Rudolph I might sort of trust, but he drops balls sometimes. Patterson I definitely don't trust to run the right routes. Uh, Thiel and I trust, but I, but Diggs is my guy. You know, 13 or more passes in two consecutive weeks, screams at, this is the only guy I truly, really, really feel I can go to.
2: And when you need a couple of yards after a catch on a third down, he's usually your guy there. I mean, if you remember the first mm-hmm. time they played the Lions, they had a fourth and four and they went right to Diggs, and he comes up with the first down there, the drive that ended in the Red Allison touchdown. Red Allison made a good catch today, but catch. <laughs> I don't think that he's uh, going to become a go-to guy anytime soon. So uh, what you're saying um, about Diggs is absolutely true that the rest of the weapons, are all they all have reasons to be questionable. And there isn't that one guy who can come up with a big play when it's necessary. And today, there were plenty of times where if you just got one, you probably win that game instead of lose.
0: So here is what I I think we are days. We are days from this being the narrative in this town. Adrian Peterson Mm -hmm. is going to come back and here he comes to save the day. (laughs) Number 28. Uh, I disagree with that. I don't think it's going to hurt you necessarily I sort of don't get why he would come back but that's a different conversation what do you think Adrian Peterson does if he can come back let's say let's just pick the Colts game if he can go back for that game what does he do to move the needle for this offense which by the way still can't replace its line you have to
2: tell me what's going to happen against uh, Dallas
0: they lose to Dallas and uh, then they beat Jacksonville and then they come home to play the Colts
2: (sighs) I got I think if I'm Considering where Peterson fits in, whether he wants to fit in, it all depends on how the NFC looks at that point and how those last two games look. Because if you go and, and you play Dallas on that next Thursday night and you get mauled and it's 42 to 10, mm-hmm. if I'm Adrian Peterson, I'm calling my agent saying, all right, start looking around, bud. Start finding me a new home because I'm not coming back to this team. They're out of it. I'm done. Uh, I want to be 100%. I'm not going to average two yards a carry behind this offensive line that is a complete disaster. I'm just going to leave it at what it is, and maybe I'll play for the Colts next year and Andrew Luck, right, or something like that. If they beat Dallas, not impossible, not likely, but not impossible. Mm -hmm. They beat Dallas. It is Mike Zimmer versus a rookie quarterback and then beat Jacksonville, and you're sitting there right, right in the hunt. Maybe the Lions lose a game or two. I think they're a little bit secretly not that great of an overall team, but have won a lot of games at the end. Yeah. Let's just say that's the scenario. I don't think he's going to save the offense, but I think he's an improvement over what you have now because, like you just laid out, Stefan Diggs is the only guy who is a playmaker On this entire team, I think McKinnon, you know, maybe here or there, a couple of good runs today, but not a guy who is a serious threat on every play, every time he touches the ball, Mm -hmm. to break one big like Adrian Peterson is. And other defenses know that. That is where I think he could have value if he comes back, if you're still in the race at that point.
0: Can a rusty Adrian Peterson at the age of 31, though, be given the ball, hit almost immediately, still break tackles and get yards? Because he was... The 1.6 yards per average came in six quarters before he got hurt, and and I know that's a really brief sample size, but that being said, the stat that knocked my socks off about it was when you saw he was basically being hit Mm -hmm. as he got the ball. That's not going to change. If anything, this offensive line now is much worse probably across the board than it was back then against the Packers in Week 2.
2: One time is all you need to be better than what they have now. This is true. One big run. One big run. And throughout his career, you one man's rusty is another man's fresh. By the way, yeah, well, <laughs> um, you're Matt
0: out of this is very very he, true.
2: Uh, he has not uh, been hit mm-hmm. in a bunch of weeks now, um, so he will be a hundred percent, which almost nobody is at this point in the NFL season. He is six foot one, two hundred and twenty pounds, and one of the most strong and powerful players in the league. I was already on the train of not saying that. Uh, Adrian Peterson's career was over because of two bad games if he had been still their running back I thought there will be times where he makes big plays sure if he breaks one run of 25 yards then he will have had the best run of the season more or less and I think with him it is a possibility that he gets hit right away throws a couple of guys aside and and breaks a big play which is all you really would have needed Today is one big touchdown run or one get it done on third and short where you can you were fourth fourth and one
0: basically. Right. And and you still felt like I liked Mike Zimmer going for it in that situation. But feeling that you had to run a pass play and Mm -hmm. had no I mean, you you didn't even try for deception there that really puts you behind the eight ball right there when it's fourth and one and you can't. Now, if you go from under center go play action or something, I get that, but that was a situation where you almost have to totally tip your hand because they know you can't run the ball.
2: And in the passing game, uh, Adrian Peterson throughout his career has gotten criticism for not being a big part of the passing game. Yeah, that's true. Last year, though, 30 catches on 36 targets and over his career averages eight yards a catch. Well, those numbers are better than what Matt Asiata and uh, McKinnon have had this year. So maybe he, that's even another area where he's got the ball in his hands. that could potentially make a play.
0: I told you this on uh, the Vikings post game show that we do the biggest thing to me though, about the passing game and the West coast, which I, by the way, I love, I love the idea of getting the ball out in space to a guy. And instead of him having to get ahead of steam, he gets the ball on the run or a screen pass or something. But the biggest thing I think that we keep seeing is no one can really block. And the most important thing what is you get the ball and then you just you just need the initial block. You don't need you know, heck, if three guys throw blocks, it's fantastic. But that first block has to happen, Matthew, and how many times now do we see where that doesn't even happen? So if you're McKinnon, you get the ball And you're thinking to yourself, okay, I'm going to move forward, and then you move forward, and unfortunately, Rudolph whiffs on the block, and now a guy's got you, and you're like, okay, instead of, let's say, eight to ten yards, I got three yards.
2: Well, and where it all really starts is with the offensive line there, too, because they can put everybody in coverage. They have every team, pretty much. The Eagles blitzed a lot, but almost every other team Mm -hmm. has just rushed four and had enough success getting to the quarterback, rushing four, that they can drop everybody else into coverage. So getting guys in space. Well, there's a lot less space when a team can get after you when they only have to rush four guys. And and this is where almost coming back to um, the Peterson conversation is when you ask me, well, is is he going to be the savior? And I, you know, a part of me, since we're doing it recorded, I can't just shrug, but that's what I would have done. It's I just, just said, I don't know. I guess I mean, meant,
0: I guess, it, I guess I really should have phrased it like this. Can he even help that much?
2: Yeah, savior
0: way too strong. Right. I don't think there is a savior for this o- offense, short of bringing in a really good offensive line.
2: Okay. So the answer to your actual question is yes. That's unfair to say savior. It, it is. It's yes. Can he help? Yes. Oh, definitely. I think yes. You're replacing, even if he's on the other side, you're replacing two guys who have done almost nothing with a hall of famer i'll take my chances with that but does it matter and i'm saying that's where my shrug comes in well it probably doesn't even if he helps them there are just so many problems and you've put yourself in such a big hole here and probably in the long run is not going to matter even though i just wrote two thousand words about it on 1500 espn.com yeah
0: I guess, too, that the thing about it is you try to, as we talk here today, you try and get your your head around, okay, how could they be like Dallas? How could you upset Dallas? And I can't even fathom that one. I mm-hmm. can't even get my head around offensively. And Mike Zimmer can come up with the greatest game plan in the history of the world defensively because Dak Prescott is a rookie, and this is a tough environment. It's going to be a night game, loud to play in here. But you're still going to have a, an offensive line for Dallas that's going to block you. I mean that's still a great offensive line, and so schematically, yeah, you can throw them off once or twice here and there. But but that gets back to like your Peterson point, which is yeah, can you get a big play against Dallas defensively two or three times? Maybe.
2: Well, the other thing is, can you do it for four quarters? Probably not. Dak Prescott isn't throwing it to the other team either. Yeah. I mean, if he was a rookie who was constantly throwing it to the other team, to Xavier, then yeah. You right? Then you would say, all right. Well, the way that you can win that game is a defensive touchdown and uh, that's not going to happen against a guy who has thrown 17 touchdowns and two picks this year.
0: Andy Carlson here for the Purple for the Win podcast, dedicated to the pain and pleasure that is the Minnesota Vikings and baby. 1500 ESPN has seen a fit to bring us into the sphere this year, so we'll be doing three shows a week, talking Vikings, have a car wash of fantastic guests, talk about, at length about the backup tight end situation and remember everyone's middle name is jerome it's going to be a lot of fun or terrible it'll be one of the two get it on the 1500 and podcast one app or on itunes or purpleftw.com let's go pro podcast continues uh joining the conversation now with zolgan and caller ben gesling who covered today's vikings defeat at fort field and uh, ben let's start with what you saw post game this has to be a very frustrated Vikings team at this point. Is that an accurate assessment?
1: I would say that it is, yes. They are They are at a point where, I mean, really the, the, the saving grace and the thing they could kind of always fall back on during this whole losing streak was, well, we have control of our own destiny. We, If we take care of our business, we're going to win the division and we're going to be fine. That is no longer the case. The Lions now, of course, have a, a one-game lead in the North, and what's probably worse for the Vikings is that they have the tiebreaker, the Lions do. So the Vikings have to be two games better over the last five. One of those, of course, is against the Cowboys next week. So I don't think they are under any illusions about how tough what they have in front of them is. And, you know, they're talking about, well, we got to go win out. You can say that. And they've we've seen that they're capable of winning five in a row earlier this year, but uh, this does not look like the same team as that. And uh, until they're able to be that team consistently, it's hard to expect much out of them other than kind of what we've seen.
2: Ben, for this entire collapse, um, so just, you know, all the losses... Do you blame anything except for or other than the offensive line injuries? It's just the injuries in general because you can include today where they lose Stefan Diggs, and I thought there uh, were probably a few opportunities on third downs that maybe turn into first downs if you have Stephon Diggs instead of dumping the ball down to Matt Asiata. But big picture, though, injuries, what else are you or able to point a finger at other than the fact that so many guys have gone
1: down? Well, I mean, that's I think it, it starts with that. But I mean, the offensive game plan today, whether it was Sam Bradford being pressured, which certainly was the case a lot of the time, or you know, maybe at some points seeing ghosts a little bit, I, our stats and info people had his average attempt at like three and a half yards downfield. I mean, I, I get the quick passing game, but at some point you have to be able to do something other than that, or you're going to see teams do what they did at the end of the game where they run trap coverage there. Darius Slay, rather than passing off or rather than following Laquan Treadwell down the field, passes him off, sits on the crossing route, and, and is able to, to get the pick because they know that you're not going downfield. You're going to throw short, and we can sit on stuff and and make plays like that. So when when you're in those situations and teams can roll up their safeties and, and not really worry about you throwing downfield, uh, it's 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 hard to make it work. And Glover and Quinn, after the game, said, like, we expect that at some point they're going to make us pay for bringing our safeties up and they never did it. He said, I was getting kind of lonely back there. It just, I mean, it was almost like he was surprised that the Vikings never tried anything, but I think so much of it right now is just, we don't trust our offensive line to protect longer than two seconds. And that pretty severely limits anything that you want to be able to do more than what they've tried.
0: But we saw uh, in the cases of the Philadelphia game and the Chicago game, uh, Ben and Matt, we saw Norv Turner basically try and go downfield. And Bradford, in some of those cases, nearly got decapitated. So I guess my question would be, is there any way that you see for the remainder of this season, and especially when they play Dallas next Thursday, is there a scenario at which this offense can operate efficiently? Uh, because we've seen them try and operate and by having Bradford drop back and throw downfield, and he ends up getting killed. And we saw today, which was not effective enough, and I guess I land on, is this just a hopeless case right now?
1: Boy, I mean, you know, you, you sort of, I mean, you hate to kind of say that and I I don't know that it's hopeless, but I mean, you you really feel like there's, there's not a lot of options there when your offensive line is playing this badly. I mean, getting Stefan Diggs back would help. And and he did not want to discuss after the game, how close he was to playing or any, anything related to the game, really, which is uh, (laughs) kind of been par for the course for him lately. Has not been the most uh, talkative guy lately. Um, but having him back would probably help. I, you know, it comes down in some, in some of these situations, somebody being able to break enough tackles and make a big play. Kind of like the, you know, Jarek McKinnon, the one they had where he just leaked out of the backfield and and made things happen after the catch. I mean, those types of plays can, can get you going. And and maybe it takes one or two of those going for a touchdown to, to have it work. But I, I don't, I don't, unless I'm missing something obvious, I I don't see anything other because they, I mean, they tried a lot of stuff today. They had, the split back of the old pro set look with three receivers on the Asiata run. They had the reverse to, to Patterson. I mean, it's not like they're just doing the same stuff and bashing their head against the wall and saying, I don't know why this isn't working. I mean, they're trying different stuff. It's just the offensive line makes a lot of it difficult to pull off.
2: How should we feel about Sam Bradford now where we are? Because, I mean, I myself am guilty of this too. Uh, after his first four starts, and he's undefeated, of saying, hey, look, this guy is a franchise quarterback, and this is what it was supposed to be like all the time, and he just never had a good situation. And he had really shown us that. He was making plays, making throws down the field, and executing the quick pass offense. And then I've thought that even over the past few weeks, he led a should-be game-winning drive against the Lions that didn't work out and played pretty well against Washington, played pretty well against Arizona. But after this interception late in the game, there's also the interception late in the Washington game. And then my question about, you know, he just – is not the type of quarterback that is going to use all of his assets to take a risk when one is required and there were a few times today where you could really use a first down you could really use a touchdown is there anybody that you could throw into traffic but just trust yourself a little bit to make that i think you see the great quarterbacks in the nfl make week after week and he just doesn't seem to want to do that he wants to stay safe and it's been the story of his career high completion percentage low yards per attempt and here we are again so Are we feeling like it's just, again, the injuries with Sam Bradford and he's he's a good quarterback in a bad situation? Or are there now more question marks where we stand now?
1: Well, I think he's in a bad situation. But yes, the the questions you bring up, I think, are valid questions. And there's in some ways the same things we were wanting to see from Teddy Bridgewater, that that idea of okay, you got to throw guys open, you got to be able to push the ball downfield. And we saw Bradford do some of that earlier this season. I mean, it, it wasn't as much of, of throwing guys open. They were able to create matchups to make more of that work. But when we saw him hit some throws downfield and it, it just it's been sort of baffling to see that go away. I mean, not having Stephon Diggs. I, I think Stephon Diggs is the guy that he trusts to go downfield. It's not to say that they don't have other guys that could do it. We've seen him do it with Adam Thielen. We've seen them do it um, you know, even to some extent with I guess not as much with Cordell Patterson, but I I don't think that there are. I mean, Kyle Rudolph could be another guy that you could stretch the field a little bit with. I just, I mean, even if you know things that are more in the neighborhood of 15 yards, you you have to be able to do more of that. And you just, you you wonder if if some of it is just I I don't want to I I feel like I'm gonna get killed if I try it, or I'm gonna take a sack. And you know, independent of whether it hurts me, it's gonna hurt us as a team. I mean, it it just it feels like. So much of it is being dictated by, okay, we have to minimize the negative effects of the offensive line and playing not to lose and playing not to have bad things happen is only going to get you so far.
0: Did you get uh, post-game updates on Joe Berger, the center, who had played in every game so far and now uh, had to leave the game because of the concussion protocol, Ben? And also uh, Searles at uh, right tackle had to go out. And uh, Willie Beavers, we saw the debut of uh, him at right tackle, and I would say it wasn't pretty.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. And and Berger's in the concussion protocol. Mike okay. Zimmer did not have uh, a lot of updates on Jeremiah Searles after the game in his, I think, Three minutes and one second of post game press conference. <laughs> um, is that what it Which was? actually, I think, is longer than uh, what he talked in Washington. I think that was like a minute something. So okay, uh, progress, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there weren't a ton of updates today, and, and it'll take a couple days probably before they have any. But uh, you know, this is one of those where they could probably use that mini bye week right now just to get healthy, and uh, you know, they at least get a week. But if you wanted to quibble what the NFL's idea of making them play two Thursdays in a row—I suppose you could a little—and it takes another team out of having to go Sunday to Thursday. I'm sure that's why the NFL does it. it—is right. saying, "Hey, if you already played Thanksgiving, you can play the next Thursday." And it's—it's not—it's one less week where we have to have a team make a short turnaround. But you have to wait one more week to have that little mini bye week sort of thing. And and especially when you're this injured, you really can use that time. So, and it's you know especially with who you have coming in next. So. Yeah, I mean it, it's uh, it's again going to be an issue of them trying to get healthy in time. And even if that happens, I'm not sure how much better you can expect the line to be.
0: What was the reaction to the uh, Bradford pick that set up the uh, Prater field goal to win the game? And also, was there any reaction to the fact that Cordell didn't know that that he had to cover up the tackle there because that pass was thrown largely because I believe it became third and seven uh, based on Cordell not being lined up
1: properly. Yes. Uh, yes to both. Um, on the on the Patterson play first, because it happened chronologically first, he said he checked with the ref and he thought the ref told him that, yes, you're on the line of scrimmage. You've covered up the tackle. Everything's fine. You're good to go. They snap the ball and they throw the flag. And then that makes it third and seven, of course. And, and then you have to get <laughs> seven yards and not two. Um, on that play, the Lions ran a trap coverage that Sam Bradford said they'd gone to that route earlier on the same drive, and the Lions had covered it differently, but they ran a trap there where Darius Slay obviously doesn't pass off, or doesn't follow Laquan Treadwell down the field, like I said, and, and sits on Adam Thielen's corner out there and, and makes the pick. Adam Thielen said when he came across and saw that Slay did not follow Treadwell, that he, that he stayed inside, that he, he basically said, I knew it was going to be trouble right away, and I should have... Tried to basically break off my route and try to break the play up, I think, is essentially what he felt like he could have done. I mean, in some ways, I think you're not going to be able to make that play. I mean, you have to say that. You don't want to throw your quarterback under the bus, I guess. But um, I'm not sure how much he could have really done with it. I have to go back and watch it. But that's basically what happened is the Lions ran a trap and and it worked and and uh, it came at the worst possible time.
2: Uh, Ben, at what point do we get into let's find out what we have mode with some of these things? I mean, with Cordero Patterson, yeah, okay, he's part of the offense again, and he's running some screens and making some big plays. Today he busts off a 22-yard run that was uh, on a scoring drive, and he even ran a good route um, on a third down play that ended up being a, a big play in the game or could have been a big play in the game for the Vikings. But is there a point where we say, all right, Cordero Patterson, let's see if you've learned anything here. Let's see if you can become more of an all-around wide receiver because we've got a decision to make on you. And also, how about Laquan Treadwell? You brought him up that he was in on that play, and boy, I mean, I thought this could have been the game where Laquan Treadwell breaks out with five or six catches and maybe one of those big plays that they could have used down the field or in the red zone. I mean, once again, here's a red zone threat that you drafted in the first round who instead you're dumping off uh, to running backs in the red zone on third down. So is there a chance here that we see them get into, you know what, it's time to find out if Laquan can play. It's time to find out if Cordero Patterson has more in him than just a bit player.
1: Well, I think if you, if you pose that question, they're going to see that as, as tantamount to giving up on the season and they're not going to admit to doing that. And they're certainly not at a point where they should do that. But I do think it, makes sense to take a longer look at those guys and we saw more of Laquan Treadwell today he was in the game more than he's been now were they not trying to to look his way as much were they not getting open as much I mean we'll have to go back and look at some of those things but he was in there a little bit more today than I've seen him in recent weeks and you know obviously didn't do much but yeah I I would like to see more of him I would especially like to see him in the red zone I just you know throw throw up a fade you know that that shouldn't be something that is out of his wheelhouse. I'm sure he did plenty of that at Ole Miss where you're you're trying to make a, a play uh, inside the 10-yard line and, and you just throw it up and have him go get it. I mean, that, that to me would be a perfect situation for him. And the red zone stuff is still a big issue. It seems like there would be a role to, to carve out for him. And I, I at this point, what does it hurt? I mean, you can't have a, a passing game that's more in the, in the practice of spinning its wheels than you have, so... Uh, it certainly would seem like it may be time to see if, if those guys, in addition to showing you what you have, can, can help you out now.
0: So uh, Purple now at 6-5, uh, and five, basically two games behind Detroit, Ben Gessling, uh, five games left starting against Dallas, and then after that it gets substantially easier for the schedule. Is the season over, in your mind, for the Vikings at this point, or is there still any real, and I mean real, hope?
1: Well, I, mathematically, it's not over. I mean, you, you have the Cowboys coming in. I, I'm not going to pick them to win that game. I don't think that anybody should expect that they're going to. I mean, they're going to say that nobody picked us to win. If they do win it, nobody should. I mean, you haven't shown anything to give people reason to think that you're going to beat that team when they're playing the way they are. So, I mean, if you lose that, you're 6-6. Six and six. But, yeah, then you have two in a row. If you're 8-6 with two weeks left, maybe you get Adrian Peterson back. I mean, you know, at that point, you have to take a shot, don't you? I mean, I think the NFC is going to be hard enough. I mean, it's going to be packed in enough that you may have that chance. The problem they have in the wild card situation, though, is that two of the teams are going to be chasing and two of the teams that beat them, Philadelphia and Washington. So, I, no, it's not over. Um, but you really don't have much more margin for error, especially if you look at the Cowboys game and say, eh, that's probably going to be another loss.
2: So, uh, real quick, Ben, uh, the offensive line, if they are going to win against uh, Dallas or any teams going forward, they will need at least better play than today or at least some sort of people to stand there and be in the way up front. (laughs) Who might those people be if Jeremiah Searles and Joe Berger are down?
1: Uh, Boy, I mean, you could try Rashad Hill, the new guy. Um, You could try Willie Beavers again. It's just... I mean, and, and now they're back down to like three hundred something thousand dollars in cap room too. I mean, you know, you there, there just aren't many solutions that are going to come through there. I mean, I, I can't think of another. I mean, maybe more of Zach Karen. I mean, they they've used they used him a little bit in a heavy set today. Yeah, I but you're throwing guys at a wall here and, yeah. and hoping that somebody that hasn't been a proven NFL player can turn into one on the fly during the middle of a playoff chase. It's just not a good situation to be in, and I don't know that there's going to be anything you try that's going to be like, yeah, this this fixes the problem.
0: Thank you, sir. Appreciate it.
1: All right, guys. Talk Happy to you later, Ben Gisling. Thanks,
0: Ben. You too as well. All right, that's going to wrap it up for the uh, Purple Podcast. The Vikings uh, lose at Detroit, get swept by the Lions, and since the bye week, Matthew, it's been that sort of year for our Vikings. Uh, we are done with this one. You and Gessling will do another Purple Podcast uh, at some point, probably early next week, because yeah, we're on a maybe, screwy uh, week here.
2: I don't even know what the schedule is like, but midweek, midweek. And Ben's got to guess old Dallas quarterbacks, which I know he's very, very happy
0: Well, oh, that's about. pretty simple, actually. I could do that. All right. Purple Podcast, we're done. Talk to you later. Stay tuned for 60-second AP News Headlines.